Democrats claim that criticism of Representative Ilhan Omar is incitement. Cher becomes a Republican and Mayor Pete officially launches his campaign. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Oh, man, a lot to get to today. We'll get to all of it, including a Game of Thrones recap a little later in the show. But first, in 2008, the U.S. national debt was $10 trillion. Today, the debt is nearly $22 trillion. It is rising like a hockey stick. If you do not think that we are sitting on a house of cards, you're living with your head in the sand. But since you listen to my podcast, you're clearly smarter than the average bear. So what is your plan? Can you afford another hit to your retirement like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? Hedge against inflation, hedge against uncertainty and instability with precious metals. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty. My savings plan is diversified and yours should be too. The company that I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which is good for some people who may want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from future geopolitical uncertainty. If you look back historically, when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold tends to safeguard savings. It has never been worth zero. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group. Get a free information kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes some sense for you. This comprehensive 16-page kit reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings, how you can legally move that IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds into a precious Precious Metals IRA if that's something you are interested in. To get that no-cost, no-obligation kit, text BEN to 474747. Again, text BEN, my name, to 474747, BEN to 474747. All right, so over the weekend, we hear a brand new, brand new narrative from the Democrats. The narrative is, if you're mean to Democrats, you're inciting violence. Now, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. This has been going on for quite a while. When I spoke at Berkeley in 2017, there were people outside my speech chanting, speech is violence. Now, of course, this is idiotic. Speech is not violence. And the First Amendment is predicated on the notion that speech is not violence, that if I say something critical of you, I am not being violent toward you, and you can rebut my statement without you being violent toward me. The moment we equate speech with violence, we have now provided an excuse for government to step in and shut down speech. Because after all, it is the government's job to prevent externalities. The basic rule of thumb when it comes to government as articulated by John Stuart Mill, is you get to wave your hand around in any direction until you hit me in the face. Well, that's how speech works. I get to say whatever I want, and so long as I am not actively inciting violence, telling people to come to your house and kill you, or encouraging people to do so, as long as I'm not doing those things, I am not inciting violence. And in fact, it is more likely to break down our public discourse for you to continually suggest that I am inciting violence than is my criticism of you. To suggest that somebody is speaking in a way that incites violence when they are not, in fact, inciting violence is merely an excuse to silence them. And this is the latest Democratic tactic. After the Democrats have spent years demonizing Republicans, after they have said that Donald Trump is not human, Representative Ilhan Omar said about three weeks ago that Donald Trump was not a human being. After the Democrats demonized Brett Kavanaugh, calling him a gang rapist, after they suggested that the Covington boys, the Covington Catholic high school boys, were a bunch of racist bigots, after all of that, Now the Democrats have suggested that if you critique Ilhan Omar for being soft on 9-11 and being soft on terrorism more broadly, you're inciting violence against her. This is sheer crap, and it is not only that, it is badly motivated crap. It is designed to protect Ilhan Omar at the expense of the truth and at the expense of her own views being promulgated. Her own views are very bad. She has a right to them, but if we repeat her own words back to her, that is her problem, not ours. It's pretty astonishing to watch as members of the press do this routine. It's one thing for Democrats. You expect Democrats to be badly motivated in how they attack Republican speech. They've been doing this for a very long time. Never mind that after a Bernie Sanders supporter went and shot up a congressional baseball game and nearly murdered the House Majority Whip at the time, Steve Scalise, there was zero discussion about Bernie Sanders' rhetoric and whether it incited violence. Although you could certainly say that if the new standard of Democrats, that extreme rhetoric, that loud rhetoric, that hot rhetoric, that that incites violence. If you use that standard, then Bernie Sanders is guilty. But I don't agree that that standard should be used. And at the time, neither did Democrats. Neither did the media. Well, now the media have changed their tune. Everything that President Trump says incites violence, everything said against Republicans is basically justified. When Michael Knowles, who works for us over at Daily Wire, went to a university just last week and somebody physically assaulted him by spraying him with a liquid that at the time people thought was bleach. When that happened, the Kansas City Star came forward and suggested that Knowles and the person who shot him with liquid were engaged in a tit for tat. So in other words, Knowles said stuff and somebody assaulted him. And those were the same thing. When I was on national television and I was talking to 
a transgender person by the name of Zoe Tur. And I termed Zoe Tur sir because the entire question was about whether biological males can be females. And then Zoe Tur proceeded to grab me by the back of the neck on national television and threatened to send me home in an ambulance. The media treated it as though my words and his actions were equivalent. So this is nothing new. The media has been doing this for a very long time. Anytime somebody on the right says something the left does not like, the left suggests that it is incitement. And anytime the left does something, the left suggests that it was incited by the right, not by their own rhetoric on the left. But the latest example of this is Ilhan Omar, of course. So Representative Omar last week was caught on tape saying that 9-11 was some people did something. Direct quote. Some people did something. And people said, um, that's a pretty disparaging way of talking about 9-11. Now, I looked at that tape and I thought, yeah, she's obviously sort of dismissing it. And it fits within a broader worldview of her dismissing terrorism. I read you twice last week on the podcast. I read you twice on the radio show the letter that she sent to a judge in 2016 in which she recommended leniency for people who joined ISIS on the grounds that they had been marginalized. This is a person who suggested in a column in Time magazine that America was founded on slavery and genocide. And in order to avoid discussing that, we had cast aspersions at international terrorism. This is not somebody who takes terrorism seriously. But if you mention any of that, if you quote her and if you draw a conclusion, then this apparently is tantamount to some sort of incitement. Now, President Trump jumped on the bandwagon on Friday. He tweeted out a video that his team put together of Ilhan Omar talking about 9-11, along with footage from 9-11, to remind everybody that if you are dismissing 9-11, here is what you are dismissing. Care was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something. So you have no idea right now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. (gasps) Some people did something? Oh my goodness, there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. Some people did something. It just flew straight into it. Some people did something, right? So this is the video. The video is, and it says September 11, 2001, we remember. Because again, the idea here is that it's not some people did something. Here is what happened. And you remember what happened. This was not some people did something. So President Trump tweets this out and people get very angry at him for having juxtaposed her words with the footage of 9-11. Oh, it's just so terrible. How could he do such a thing? How about she said what she said and then the footage juxtaposed to what she said. That's not only an element of free speech. That is also a fair critique of Ilhan Omar not taking 9-11 seriously enough. But here's what this prompted. Representative Omar still has not said what would be the easiest thing in the world to say. Seriously, it would have been the easiest thing. The day after Representative Dan Crenshaw tweeted out the video, the day after it started being publicized, all Ilhan Omar had to say is, my broader point was obviously, it wasn't obvious, but my broader point was obviously that people who are not the mainstream of of the Muslim world committed an awful evil terrorist act, and then the impact was on Muslims more broadly, and that was a terrible thing. But I never meant to downplay 9-11, and any suggestion that I did is off base. That's all she had to say. She still has not said that. She still has not said those things. Instead, she has doubled down on this stuff. She tweeted out a quote from George W. Bush and suggested that George W. Bush minimized 9-11, which is a joke. It is not close to true. Well, now her new tack is everyone's being mean to me. Welcome to politics, Representative Omar. Everybody's mean to me. She tweeted out, we are all Americans. This is endangering lives. It has to stop. Really, is this endangering lives? Really weird, Ilhan Omar, because I seem to remember when three times in the last four months, you have made openly anti-Semitic statements. You claimed that Jews were engaged in dual loyalty and Israel supporters were engaged in dual loyalty for the state of Israel. You suggested that American Jewish money was behind the American support for Israel. And you suggested also that the Jews were responsible for, for hypnotizing the world. I mean, all of this happened in the last four months. Over and over and over, you said anti-Semitic things. And hate crimes against Jews are up significantly around the world and particularly in the United States. I don't remember any arguments about Ilhan Omar's language helping to incite violence. You know why? Because she wasn't inciting violence, even though what she was saying was vile and terrible and hate-filled. That still was not inciting violence. And yet, according to Ilhan Omar, if you quote her, it's inciting violence. Quote, we are all Americans. This is endangering lives. It has to stop. And then she puts out this long statement on Twitter 
Since the president's tweet Friday evening, I have experienced an increase in direct threats on my life, many directly referencing or replying to the president's video. I thank the Capitol Police, the FBI, the House Sergeant at Arms, and the Speaker of the House for their attention to these threats. Violent crimes and other acts of hate by right-wing extremists and white nationalists are on the rise in this country and around the world. Okay, first of all, it is not totally clear that other acts of hate by right-wing extremists in the United States are actually on the rise in this country. They're more reporting agencies. But put that aside, even assume that's true. What in the world does that have to do with Trump tweeting out a video of you saying things juxtaposed to the thing you're talking about? And then she continues, we can no longer ignore that they are being encouraged by the occupant of the highest office in the land. Country counties that hosted a 2016 Trump rally saw a 226% increase in hate crimes in the months following the rally and assaults increase when cities host Trump rallies. This is particularly concerning, given the president's visit to my home state of Minnesota on Monday. Violent rhetoric and all forms of hate speech have no place in our society, much less from our country's commander in chief. We are all Americans. This is endangering lives. It has to stop. Okay, question. We played the video. Was anything in there a form of hate speech? Was it violent rhetoric? Or was it simply quoting her next to footage of the thing she was talking about? This playing victim routine where she is a prominent politician on the cover of national magazines, on the cover of Rolling Stone alongside Nancy Pelosi. And the idea is that if you quote her and you point out that she has a perverse worldview, that when you suggest that, that that is some sort of initiation or incitement of violence against her. This is a pure, easy tactic for shutting down debate, for shutting down speech. That's what this is. And I take my share of crap, let me tell you. I have security nearly full time and I have for, at this point, months and years because of the amount of hate and the number of death threats that I get. And you know what? People are still allowed to criticize me. I've never called for anyone to be banned from Twitter. I've never called for anyone to be banned from Facebook. I've never called for the police to go and arrest any of my critics. I've never suggested that people who criticize me are inciting violence no matter how vile or out of context they are. And yet if you're Elhan Omar, the media will parrot this. That's the part that's astonishing. These First Amendment loving media members who say that Trump is shutting down free speech, They will jump right on the bandwagon when it comes to Donald Trump is somehow inciting violence in violation of the First Amendment. It's insane. We'll get to more of this in just a second. First, getting fit and staying healthy always sounds easier said than done, right? Well, Open Fit is bringing you something new that makes it even easier to never miss a sweat session. Lose the commute to the gym. Let the workouts come to you. OpenFit takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. I like to work out every day, and OpenFit makes it possible when I'm on the road. Every night when I go home, my wife, who works very long hours, we work out together using OpenFit. OpenFit is a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. Everybody's bodies are different. OpenFit gets that. That's why it is personalized to your needs with custom-tailored original content. OpenFit classes are led by some of the most effective and engaging trainers in the world. Forget all the complexity and stress around getting fit. Just press play and work out on your schedule. 600 seconds with celebrity trainer Devin Wiggins. It packs the fat-burning, muscle-building, and body-sculpting benefits of much longer sessions into a fraction of that time. You can view it on your computer, your web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, Roku. Lose up to 15 pounds in just the first 30 days. Flatten your abs, shape your body, look and feel great. As I say, my wife and I use OpenFit ourselves. It really is fantastic. It's great. OpenFit has changed the way I work out with my coach Shapiro. You can join me on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Again, use my code Shapiro. Start using OpenFit for your journey to a healthier life right now. During the OpenFit 30-day challenge, my listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial. So give it a try. You can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days. Text Shapiro to 303030. You get the full access to OpenFit, all the workouts, all the nutrition information, totally free. Just text Shapiro to 303030. Standard message and data rates may apply. OpenFit is fantastic. Again, I can't. I can't tell you how great it is because my wife and I use it. It's really terrific. Okay, so the press and the Democrats keep pushing forward this narrative that President Trump and people who have criticized Dilhan Omar, Representative Dan Crenshaw, they're responsible for incitement. It demonstrates the full-scale bad faith of people making the argument, uh, particularly in the press, when you look at the sort of rhetoric that the left has been using for years at this point. Years. The Southern Poverty Law Center labeled the Family Research Council a hate group. Just within, within a few weeks, A a person named, uh, well, I won't name him because he was a shooter. A shooter walked into the headquarters at the Family Research Council and shot up the Family Research Council and nearly killed a guard, an armed guard. The Southern Poverty Law Center continued to be used as a source by most of the media until their well-deserved collapse in the last couple of months. Bernie Sanders, again, one of his supporters, shot up a congressional baseball game. It was out of the news inside of a week. Donald Trump tweets out a video that includes a quote from a sitting congresswoman who is on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, juxtaposed with the things she's talking about. And this is incitement to violence. This is obviously about Donald Trump being evil. It's insipid. 
and it's, and it's bad faith garbage designed to prevent anyone from discussing the reality of Ilhan Omar's views, which are egregiously radical, egregiously radical across the board, and particularly when it comes to foreign policy. And meanwhile, other members of, of Congress are jumping on the bandwagon with this sort of garbage. AOC tweeted out the worst version of this last week. I mean, this is, this is just beyond insane. It's beyond insane. It's, it's actually despicable what she tweeted out. So she tweeted out this wonderful fresh face of the Democratic Congress, quote, Members of Congress have a duty to respond to the president's explicit attack today. Ilhan Omar's life is in danger. For our colleagues to be silent is to be complicit in the outright dangerous targeting of a member of Congress. We must speak out. First, they came for the socialists. Okay, and then she tweets out that famous poem from the uh, Reverend Niemöller, I believe. The, the first they came for the socialists, and I was not a socialist, so I said nothing. And then they came for the, the trade unionists, and then they came for the Jews. And then finally, when they came for me, there was no one left to speak out for me. So she's invoking the Holocaust. She's invoking the Holocaust in order to defend the worst anti-Semite in Congress. So Ilhan Omar, who keeps saying anti-Semitic things over and over and over to the point where members of her own party have gone to APAC and condemned her. I'm talking specifically about Steiny Hoyer, the House Majority Whip. He goes to APAC and condemns her. Ilhan Omar is now being equated to Jews, historically, and Jews who were murdered in the Holocaust. So, in other words, Donald Trump quoting a sitting member of Congress is the same as Donald Trump liquidating people like Ilhan Omar. That's what this is. Do you know how insulting and disgusting that is? It really is. And then you have radicals, insane people like Max Berger. And you can see the true agenda here in this particular tweet. Max Berger happens to be the co-founder of If Not Now, which is a wildly anti-Israel, far-left garbage organization that spends most of its days slandering Israel and trying to make, make time for, on, on behalf of, of terror apologists. So Max Berger tweets out, Jews need to understand that Muslims now play the role we have played throughout our history. They are blamed for the failures of people in power. In this time of rising fascism, American Jews must defend Ilhan Omar and our Muslim brothers and sisters with all our might. If I... If I could, I would flip the double bird to Max Berger. What a disastrous, disgusting piece of garbage tweet that is. My goodness. Muslims play the role that Jews have played. Really? Who are the leading targets of hate crimes for the last 20 years in the United States, year on year? It's always Jews. There are 50 Muslim states on planet Earth. There is one Jewish state, and that Jewish state is under constant rocket barrage from a terrorist group. Muslims play the... There are 1.8 billion Muslims on planet Earth. There are 14 million Jews. Muslims play the role that Jews play throughout history? Under, under what? But, th but this is the intersectional woke worldview. Ilhan Omar gets to say whatever the F she wants about Jews because Ilhan Omar is a Somali woman who is Muslim. And so she gets to say whatever she wants about Jews. She gets to say whatever she wants about 9-11. And no one is supposed to say anything. And if you say something, you're inciting against her and victimizing her. And the Jews who are victimized by Ilhan Omar, the Jews who are, who are called dual loyalists, the Jews who it is suggested are the, are the font and the wellspring of evil in the world by people like Ilhan Omar. They are hypnotizing the world. Those people really need to point, they, they need to just cede the mantle of victimhood to Ilhan Omar, who really is the true victim. A young woman who has spent some time in America, you know, she's been here since 12, since age 12, a refugee taken in by the most generous country on the face of the earth and then put in Congress with no record other than being herself. That's it. Truly astonishing. But don't worry, guys, we, have to, we must defend Ilhan Omar. Ben the Ark, another anti-Israel you know, front group. They, they call themselves Jewish Action, but this is an anti-Jewish group. They, they, they tweeted out, Shabbat Shalom to Ilhan Omar and our black and Muslim family. The attacks on you from our, the president are violent and unconscionable. Violent? Really? Were they violent attacks? Because it seems to me that Jews have experienced some violent attacks before. Violent attacks. Our Jewish community has your back. We will not be silent. We will keep fighting for a world where your faith and your leadership are respected. The only way I have Ilhan Omar's back is that she has the right to say what she wants to say. Every other way, I absolutely do not have her back, and neither to the vast majority of Jews in the country who have been targeted by her hateful rhetoric over and over and over again. And I don't care how many covers of magazines she appears on, and I don't give a damn how many Democratic leaders come out and suggest that she is the victim of violence. She was criticized. That is not the same thing as being a victim of violence. And if people send her death threats, those people should be arrested. But that is not the same thing as the president pointing out a thing she said. Nancy Pelosi playing the same stupid game. She tweeted out, 
Donald Trump's dangerous video must be taken down. I have spoken with the sergeant at arms to ensure that Capitol Police are conducting a security assessment to safeguard Representative Omar, her family, and her staff. They will continue to monitor and address the threats she faces. And then she tweeted out, following the president's tweet, I spoke with the sergeant at arms, and then it's her. And then it says, the president's words weigh a ton, and his hateful and inflammatory rhetoric creates real danger. Creates real danger? Nancy Pelosi said that Americans were collateral damage of President Trump's policies. Democrats, day after day after day, have suggested that the president of the United States is a Russian agent. They've said that you're going to die because of net neutrality. They're going to die because of global warming. They're going to die because of his tax cuts. None of that was incitement. You know why? Because it wasn't incitement. It's stupid. It's hateful. It's not incitement. And yet Democrats demonstrating the death of the liberal mentality that I disagree with what you say, but I'll die for your right to say it. They've decided, no, instead you should shut, you should shut up. And if you say anything, we'll just call it incitement. How convenient. And it's not just Nancy Pelosi, of course. You have Bernie Sanders coming forth and saying this. He tweets out, Ilhan Omar is a leader with strength and courage. Of course, Bernie Sanders says this. There's no more anti-Israel candidate on planet Earth. He says she won't back down to Trump's racism and hate. Neither will we. The disgusting and dangerous attacks against her must end. Just dangerous attacks against her? One of your supporters shot up a bunch of Congress people about two years ago, dude. I don't remember a huge conversation about your dangerous attacks on everybody who opposed your Medicare for All plan, which you said was responsible. For the people's refusal of that plan was responsible for tens of thousands of dead, according to you. I don't remember that conversation being called dangerous. You know why? Because it's not dangerous. If I seem exercised about this, that's because I am. It's an absurd, disgusting contention designed at, at sapping the strength of our republic. The strength of our republic is that you can say something and I can say something, and that's not called violence. And yet Democrats want to say that this is all called violence as long as it's somebody on the right saying it. It's nothing but bad faith censorship, and that's what they're attempting right now. Coming up in a second, I'll show you some more some more of this nonsense. They've all bought into this lock, stock, and barrel. Leftists cannot be allowed to take control of this government if this is going to be their mentality. If liberals take control of government, your taxes go up. If leftists take control of your government, your rights are in danger. It's horrifying. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. First, nobody wants to feel like they're overpaying while shopping online. But did you know there's an easy way to get the lowest price? It's called Honey. And everyone deserves to know about it. Honey is a free shopping tool that automatically saves you money by searching the internet for the best promo codes whenever you shop online. That means you get the best deals without even trying on sites like Amazon, eBay, Walmart, Macy's, Domino's, and more. Honey does it all for you. It always applies the biggest discount right at checkout. Honey has over 10 million members, over 100,000 five-star reviews. Honey members have already saved more than $800 million. Not bad for something that's completely free and takes just two clicks to install. Never worry if you're overpaying again. With Honey, you can always shop with confidence knowing you're getting the best deal. I've earned a bunch of what they call Honey Gold over and over because I shop at Amazon all the time. There's no reason not to add Honey to your browser today. It is free to use. It installs in just two clicks. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Ben. That's two words, joinhoney.com slash Ben. Honey is the easiest way to save money while shopping online. Again, I have it running in the background of my computer at all times. So anytime I go shopping for anything, Honey is working to save me money. It can do the same for you. And it's free to join. Go check them out. Joinhoney.com slash Ben. Joinhoney.com slash Ben will start working for you and saving you money. Okay, so other Democratic candidates come out and they mirror the AOC, Ilhan Omar, Nancy Pelosi lie that if you criticize Ilhan Omar, you're responsible for violence. This shortly after AOC suggests that it's like the Holocaust to criticize Ilhan Omar. Jay Inslee, who's running a quixotic, idiotic campaign for the presidency. He has no shot. He's tweeting out, President Trump's inflammatory and dangerous rhetoric toward Ilhan Omar is jeopardizing her safety. He is deliberately putting her and all Muslim Americans in harm's way. Question, how is he putting all Muslim Americans in harm's way? Did all Muslim, did all Muslim Americans call 9-11 some people did something? Did all of them suggest radically anti-Semitic stuff? Did all of them do that stuff? Also, where has he called for violence? What is your standard for incitement? If it's this low, then it seems to me that your criticism of President Trump is inciting violence against President Trump. Hell, somebody set himself on fire in front of the White House on Friday. Elizabeth Warren says the president is inciting violence against a sitting congresswoman and an entire group of Americans based on their religion. How? How? I, I need an explanation. How did he incite violence against an entire group of Americans based on their religion? It seems to me that if you're talking about inciting violence against groups based on religion, your party, Elizabeth Warren, is in the midst of doing that if we're going to use your standard of incitement. I mean, you're the ones who are propping up anti-Semites, open anti-Semites like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. Elizabeth Warren knows better than this, but she's a joke who's looking for attention. 
She says that the president's rhetoric is disgusting. It's shameful. And any elected leader who refuses to condemn it shares responsibility for it. Ah, I see. I see. So if President Trump says something and then people don't condemn it as incitement, then they are responsible for violence too. So everyone is responsible for violence. The only criteria here is that you have to be on the, uh, you have to be on the right. That's it. Cory Booker does the same thing. Then all of this is in bad faith. Senator Booker tweets out, Trump's recent attacks on Ilhan Omar are unacceptable. This is the same language that gives extremists license to carry out violence against our Muslim brothers and sisters. I, I cannot express to you how it really is. It is truly un-American. It is un-American to suggest that everyone who disagrees with you is inciting violence against you. It is an un-American thing. The First Amendment says that you get to speak. Incitement is a legal standard. Incitement is illegal. If I incite someone to violence, if I go over to my producers and I say, go kill X today, I am responsible for inciting violence. That's a legal standard and I can be arrested for it. To equate speech with violence is the essence of tyranny. Here's Cory Booker doing it on Face the Nation. Are you offended by the Congresswoman's language? Some people did something. I, I think that it is what she's experiencing right now. She does not deserve from what she said in her speech, she does not deserve the kind of vicious, hate-filled attacks that she's experiencing, threats on her life right now. We all as Americans should say that's outrageous and unacceptable. And what Donald Trump is doing is he's making life dangerous, not just for her, but for other Muslim Americans. Now, look how he avoids the question, right? The question was, what do you think of her statements? And he says, well, her treatment is really bad. That's not the question. I agree. Anyone who issues a death threat to Ilhan Omar should promptly be arrested. That's true. Also, what she said was egregious. Also, she has said nothing but egregious things, apparently, since joining Congress and you and your party keep covering for her, Cory Booker. And then Beto O'Rourke, who, by the way, is sinking in the polls like a stone, as well he should be. Beto, he comes out and does the same routine. This is an incitement to violence against Congresswoman Omar, against our fellow Americans who happened to be Muslim. This is part and parcel of what we've seen from an administration that has described Mexican immigrants as rapists and criminals. Okay, that happens to be a lie. Okay, this, this, this administration has not defined all Mexican immigrants as rapists and criminals. He suggested also that Trump called immigrants animals. That is not true. He called MS-13 animals. But this, this whole routine is so well-coordinated that it has to be coming top-down. It has to be that Ilhan Omar trotted out this garbage defense and the Democratic leadership decided it's time for everybody to get on the same page. And everybody is now going to kowtow to the woke portion of the base that chants speech at violence at speeches like mine and equate actual acts of violence against right-wingers with speech by right-wingers. That's what's going on here. Now, hilariously enough, it is, it is fascinating to see how Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and AOC truly have the Democratic leadership by the cojones here. I mean, they really have, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Rashida Tlaib, in the midst of all this, in the midst of all the Democrats coming up and defending, and defending Ilhan Omar for saying garbage things on a regular basis, Rashida Tlaib, who also says garbage things on a regular basis, but happens to be slightly more sophisticated about it, she tweets out, they put us in photos when they want to show our party is diverse. However, when we ask to be at the table or speak up about issues that impact who we are, what we fight for and why we ran in the first place, we are ignored. To truly honor our diversity is to never silence us. So in other words, you have to shut up and listen to us. That's Rashida Tlaib saying that to Nancy Pelosi. You need to shut up and listen to us. And Nancy Pelosi, being a doof, immediately falls prey to this in practice. In practice. Now, why should, why should people take Rashida Tlaib's views seriously? She is one of 435 elected congresspeople. Why should her views have outsized impact? Particularly since Rashida Tlaib happens to be a radical anti-Semite who spends a lot of time associating with radical anti-Semites. You'll recall that there was a person named Abbas Hamideh. He tweeted out, quote, I was honored to be a Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib swearing in ceremony in Detroit and private dinner afterward with the entire family, friends, and activists across the country. Hashtag Palestine. Hashtag tweet, tweet your thobe. Hashtag Rashida Tlaib. And he tweeted that out. So who exactly is Abbas Hamideh who's standing there in the picture presenting her a picture of herself? Here's a tweet he sent over the weekend, quote, the dangerous part about a Jew landing on the moon is that 3,000 years from now, Zionist ideology could claim ownership of the moon. What a nice guy. But the good news is that he has lots of tweets like this. Two days later, okay, two days later, this would have been yesterday, quote, so, okay, so a guy named Yona Lieberman tweeted, American Jewish leaders led the fight to publicly undermine Ilhan Amar after her comments about AIPAC. 
to make up for that, they now need to lead the fight in her favor. Abbas Hamidi tweets, I concur with this Jew. American Jews started this slander against Ilhan Omar because she called AIPAC out. This is well documented. Oh, really? Is it well documented? Because it seems like everybody who is pro-Israel and pro-Jewish pointed out that what she said was anti-Semitic, including Democratic leaders. Over the weekend, Abbas Hamida, Arab Jews who turned criminal Zionists don't cry about not being wanted by your Arab nations. You can't be trusted, just like European occupiers. Enjoy Poland one day with the rest of your fellow European criminal invaders. That was your choice, not the choice of Arab countries. In other words, destroy Israel, send all the Jews back to Poland. Abbas Hamida, close friend of Rashida Tlaib. Clearly, this is a person whose views should be taken incredibly seriously. I mean, this is a person who she should... She needs to be taken seriously, and my criticism of her probably is inciting violence, according to the Democratic standard. If I read those tweets and I point out that this person is a close friend of Rashida Tlaib, then this obviously is inciting violence in some way. Never mind that people do this kind of stuff to every public figure. Never mind that I myself have been taken out of context repeatedly, routinely throughout my career. All of that is free speech. I may dislike it. I may fight back against it. It's not incitement. It's amazing. Now, in a second, I'll show you that the Democratic leadership the Democratic leadership is deeply uncomfortable with all of this, but they have to pretend to like it. It's pretty incredible, as I say, how these new Democratic Congresswomen, because they are woke and diverse and intersectional, really have the Democratic Party by the short hairs. It's pretty incredible. We'll get to that in just one second. First, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can subscribe over at dailywire.com. When you do, you get the rest of this show live. You get two additional hours of this show every day. We are working hard for your money. Go check it out right now. Annual subscription, you get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels, the leftist here's hot or cold tumbler. Gaze upon it and be rejuvenated simply by seeing it. Imagine what it could do for you if you held it in your hands. All you have to do is go subscribe for $99 a year over at dailywire.com. You also get our Sunday special early. We have all sorts of great Sunday specials coming up. You also get to be part of our mailbag, so we'll answer your questions. We'll answer questions sometimes during the live radio show in the middle of the breaks. So plenty of great stuff going on when you subscribe. Go check it out right now. Please subscribe at YouTube and iTunes as well so you can get all of our stuff for free, most of our stuff for free anyway. And leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so the Democrats are clearly uncomfortable with all of this, but they've been forced into a corner by featuring the woke Congress people hoping to duplicate the Obama 2012 coalition. Oh, we'll get outsized minority votes if we feature these woke Congress people. Now Nancy Pelosi has been boxed in. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, I, I've never seen Nancy Pelosi look more uncomfortable than when she is talking about Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and AOC because she knows that these radical Congress people are driving the Democratic Party away from the middle of the country. And I don't mean like the physical middle of the country. I mean from anyone who considers themselves moderate or independent or even liberal. These new woke Congress people are driving those people away from the Democratic Party. Nancy Pelosi hates it. You can see it. She's with Leslie Stull on 60 Minutes. Here's how it sounded. You have these wings, AOC and her group on one side. That's like five people. No, it's the progressive group. It's more than well, progressive. five. I'm a progressive, yeah. <laughs> So there's Nancy Pelosi trying to cut AOC dead. It's like five people, that wing. And then when Leslie Stahl says, no, those are the progressives. She says, no, 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 I'm the progressive. Okay, Nancy, then take control of your damn party. Now, I've heard what a clever manipulator you are. I keep hearing from the left that you are a Machiavellian politician, bar none, that you are the queen of the House of Representatives. So what are you doing about this? Anything? Or are you just going to, I mean, we already know. You've already decided that you're going to kowtow to all of these women who say awful things on a regular basis. You're going to kowtow to them because you are too scared of pissing off your own base. All right, well, live with the consequences. And don't pretend that it's incitement to criticize you or them. Politics is about criticism. Politics is about a back and forth. Politics is about the dialectic process of finding truth by discussion. And if you don't like that, then you are a problem. If you don't like that, then you are the one who is imposing tyranny from above. Truly amazing. But this mentality has spread throughout the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party, the top levels of it, and the progressive woke base, they've, they've decided to participate in this Maoist system where either you must shut up and listen to the most intersectional among us, or we are going to call you out as racist and as inciting violence. So that means the only thing that you can do is basically lay prostrate before your intersectional betters. And if you lay prostrate before your intersectional betters, then everything will be all right. That's the only way you can avoid blame. And that's why you end up with pieces like this in the New England Journal of Medicine. Okay, the New England Journal of Medicine has a piece today 
from a doctor named Deborah Cohan. And the piece says, quote, I am racist, shaped by the sometimes subtle tendrils of white supremacy deeply embedded in our culture. I mean this not as a sanctimonious admission of guilt, but as a call to self-reflection and action for us white physicians. Oh, is that what you mean by it? Or do you mean that now no one can criticize you because you have confessed your racism in this Maoist struggle session in the pages of the New England Journal of Medicine? What does this have to do with medicine? The answer, of course, is nothing. Deborah Cohen writes, not dealing with our racism is a manifestation of our privilege and reinforces a system that allows white physicians to dip into the waters of self-inquiry only when it feels safe. So you'll be allowed to speak so long as what you speak is the language of surrender to the intersectional racism of the left. So if you say, listen, I'm a racist and I accept that I can't challenge the views of anyone who disagrees with me, who ranks higher on the victimhood scale and intersection, then you can talk. But that's the only thing we're going to allow you to say. Into this culture, wild leftists are now pushing an even more insane proposal. Benjamin Applebaum, who's on the New York Times editorial board, one of the worst editorial boards in the country. He has a piece today called Everyone's Income Taxes Should Be Public. So into this woke culture, this culture where we are going to shame you if you disagree, we are also going to ask that everyone's tax returns be public so that we can find people and destroy their lives. It's pretty astonishing. Now, I have a solution. How about the New York Times editorial board goes first? Is there anything good about the idea that why is everyone privy to my finances? Why should they be privy to your finances? The only reason to do any of this, the only reason the left is pushing any of this is to forward the bullying culture that they have created for themselves. The, the, is, to, is to push the idea that, that if you do not do what they want on your tax returns, if you earn too much money, you are bad. You are morally bankrupt, and therefore they can attack you. If you are white, they can morally attack you until you suggest that you are, in fact, part of a racist superstructure, in which case you're allowed to talk. And if you won't do either of those things, if you won't throw open your doors to the, to the Maoists, then they, then, you, then they will target you, and they will call you a racist, bigot, sexist, homophobe who's inciting violence. All this stuff is so disturbing. This is not liberalism. Liberalism is dead. This is the left. Liberalism used to be about we want a little more government intervention in the economy. I disagreed with that, but that was the case. Now liberalism is about confessing your racism in public, even if you're not a racist. Now, now leftism is about throw open the doors of your tax returns so that we can all examine in detail whether we approve of your earning and spending habits. Now it's about if you criticize us, then you're inciting violence. You want to break up a democracy? You want to break up a republic? This is how you do it right here. And we're watching it happen. Okay, meanwhile, something hilarious did happen over the weekend. It's been pretty funny. So President Trump, as we talked about on Friday, apparently floated a proposal whereby people who are coming into the country illegally and for which the federal government did not have the resources because Democrats have not provided the funding necessary to keep families together at the border. President Trump suggested, okay, instead of just shipping them to the local border town, instead of just sending them to El Paso and letting them roam around in El Paso, how about this? You guys on the left, you don't want to provide me the funding. And since you don't want to provide me the funding, and since you also have created sanctuary cities, how about we send them to you and you deal with it? President Trump tweeted out, Democrats must change the immigration laws fast. If not, sanctuary cities must immediately act to take care of the illegal immigrants. And this includes gang members, drug dealers, human traffickers, and criminals of all shapes, sizes, and kinds. Change the laws now. Now, the point that he is making here, of course, is that if you are wildly pro-open borders, then you should probably feel the consequences of your decision-making. He says, so interesting to see the mayor of Oakland and other sanctuary cities do not want our currently detained immigrants after release due to the ridiculous quarter 20-day rule. If they don't want to serve our nation by taking care of them, why should other cities and towns? There is nothing wrong with what he is saying here. You may not like President Trump, but what he is saying here is true. If you, are a, if you, if you believe that illegal immigration only adds benefit to your city, and if you believe that the president has been overstating the problems, and if you believe that the only humane treatment is catch and release of these folks into American society so they can live and work in America, why not send them to places where they're even more protected like sanctuary cities? Shouldn't they be cheering? Now, it's funny. There's some people on the right saying, well, isn't this going to make it easier for these people to escape into the system? Trump's point is they're already escaping into the system. They already are. And the people who are feeling the brunt of that are not people who approve the system. So if they're going to escape into the system anyway... If these people are going to be released into the system and never show up again and just overstay their temporary work visas, well, then maybe they should live in the areas where Democrats keep saying they want them. And hilariously enough, Democrats are upset about this, which does demonstrate 
a peculiar hypocrisy on the part of Democrats. The, the best the best element of this over the weekend was Cher. So Cher, who is a is a crazy left winger, she tweeted out, I understand helping struggling immigrants, but my city, Los Angeles, isn't taking care of its own. What about the 50,000 plus American citizens who live on the streets, people who live below the poverty line and they're hungry? If my state can't take care of its own, many are vets. How can it take care of more? Welcome to the dark side, Cher. Welcome to the Republican Party. That's the case that President Trump has been making. I guess that Cher for new head of DHS, right? And that, that's President Trump. That's his entire case. We have a lot of costs in this country. We can't take care of everybody who wants to be on welfare. We can't just bring people in here and put them on food stamps or state programs. So Cher, I guess, is now recognizing, oh, wait, there are finite resources. And when you let in an unlimited number of people to take advantage of finite resources, you end up with a shortage. Hilariously enough, it's not only Cher, it's Cory Booker struggling to maintain relevance in a crowded Democratic field. He was on Face the Nation over the weekend. And he says it is less safe for us to release illegal immigrants into sanctuary cities. Oh, really? Oh, really, Senator Booker? Do you think this is an empty threat by the president, though, to talk about busing people from the border into these sanctuary cities? He likes to create friction sometimes to jumpstart, he says, a Congress that's not acting. You say friction. I say he's trying to pit Americans against each other and make us less safe because what you're seeing now. So you take the threat seriously? I, I, I take this. He is injecting fear into our country. And so if he was looking to solve a problem, he wouldn't be doing things to divide this country against itself. Be, beware of any anybody that's trying to tell you to be afraid in the strongest country in the world, as opposed to showing our strength and our courage by pulling people together to find common sense solutions to solve this problem. He says it's less safe? Weird. Weird. And he says that it tears us apart to s send illegal immigrants to cities where they will be the most welcome? Odd, Cory Booker. I I'm strange. It it's, it's amusing to watch as the, as the Democrats, you know, basically embrace the Republican premise on this entire argument, while at the same time maintaining they won't do anything about it. It's not just on that score, by the way, where Democrats are embracing the Republican premise while not doing anything about it. Bernie Sanders was on the campaign trail over the weekend, and Senator Sanders has been caught up in a bit of an awkward situation. It turns out that he is a millionaire, and as a socialist, this is a not great thing. So Bernie Sanders had to explain that it's not criminal for him to be rich. I didn't know that it was a crime to write a good book, which turned out to be a bestseller. My view has always been that we need a progressive tax system which demands that the wealthiest people in this country finally start paying their fair share of taxes. If I make a lot of money, you make a lot of money, that is what I believe. So again, I don't apologize for writing a book that was number three on the New York Times bestseller, translated into five or six languages, uh, and that's that. Oh, well, I don't apologize for writing a book that was number one on the New York Times bestseller list and is being translated into other languages as we speak. I don't apologize for that either. The difference is I like capitalism. I think it's good. Dirty little secret about democratic politics. They all like capitalism, including Bernie Sanders. I know, uncomfortable facts. But Bernie Sanders actually likes capitalism. He just won't say that publicly. And I would love for somebody to press him. He's holding his first press scrum, by the way, two months after launch. Amazing how the press haven't made a big deal out of that. Speaking of press malfeasance, there is polling out that shows that the American people do not believe that they got a tax cut from President Trump's tax cuts. And yet virtually everyone did. The New York, the Tax Policy Center estimates that 65% of people paid less under the new tax law and just 6% of people paid more. I'd be in the 6%, by the way. Other analyses reached similar conclusions. The Joint Committee on Taxation, Congress's nonpartisan team of tax analysts, found that every income group would see a tax cut on average, in a December 2017 analysis from the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, it found every income group in every state would pay less on average under the law in 2019. And yet the vast majority of people do not understand that they got a tax cut. And now it's hilarious. The media are saying, why don't people know that? Why don't people? Because you said that they would not. Because you claimed that it was a tax cut that was created to benefit the rich. So you lied. So you lied. That's how you end up in this situation. Without media lies, Democrats would have almost nothing. Almost nothing. All right. Time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. So you know what? Let's just do that Game of Thrones episode. Let's do a, a brief breakdown of that Game of Thrones. So spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead for those who don't watch Game of Thrones. Fast forward maybe two or three minutes in this and then we'll be back with some things I hate. But the, the 
Okay, so Game of Thrones episode. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought it was slow. I kept thinking, okay, you guys have like, what, eight hours to wrap this whole thing up? And we're going to waste 20 minutes of this on lingering looks? Just people staring at each other? That's what we're going to do? Or an army arriving at Winterfell? Yeah, I got it. Like from the first shot that the army was coming to Winterfell. Sort of got that part. Also, I will say that Bran, whoever plays Bran, that kid, they cast him when he was a kid. And you never know when you cast a kid whether the kid's going to turn out to be a good actor or whether the kid is just going to turn out to be a stump. And Neon Taster, my Twitter father, tweeted out, and I think this is right, that Bran is basically the hodor of looking at people. That every, every time Bran looks at somebody, it's the same look. So he just sort of sits there and acts sour for the entire episode. There are a couple of good scenes. The scene where Jon finds out his lineage is pretty great. Um, that, that, that was pretty much the only terrific scene. The, the, the How to Train Your Dragon sequence with Danny and Jon was a little long, and we all sort of saw it coming. But it's all a setup anyway. Everybody knows that this is a setup for, for the big battle. So slightly disappointed, yes. Did it have its moments? Yes. Is, is Danny going to turn into a mad Targaryen? The odds are good. The odds are good that Danny turns into a mad Targaryen before all of this is said and done. Okay, so there is your brief Game of Thrones expert nothing, uh, update. Nothing, nothing actually happens in the episode except that Jon finds out what's going on. Everything else is filler. Cersei drinks and enunciates the letter T very clearly a lot. And Euron shows up and makes some jokes, makes some sex jokes. And there are some boobs because we have to point out that this is HBO and we have to remind people that you're paying subscriptions so you can see boobs. But other than that, not much happens. Is that a fair summation, guys? I think it's a pretty fair summation of the episode. Okay, so, all right. Other things that I like is still, did I enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, I like the Game of Thrones is back. All right, other things that I like. So th- it's just an amazing sports story. Tiger Woods won the Masters. He, the last time he won the Masters was a solid decade ago. And there's this great video of him hugging his son after winning the Masters. Now, Tiger, obviously, was at the top of the sporting world. It's rare to see somebody humbled the way that Tiger Woods was. Right? It came out that he was stripping every porn star in a 57-mile radius. And then it broke up his marriage. It was really quite terrible for him and for his family, obviously, that he was doing all of those things. And then he got injured, and he was off the scene for a solid decade. And he comes back in his mid-40s to win the Masters. Pretty amazing story. Here's a video of him hugging his son. It was pretty cool. Little Charlie. Was it even born when his father won a major the last time in 2008? So, pretty cool stuff. So I guess it was 2008. Pretty neat stuff from, uh, from Tiger Woods. And it's a great redemption story. Uh, so there's this great, there's, from his first Masters win, there's this great video of him hugging his dad uh, wearing nearly an identical shirt. And then you fast forward 15 years and now he's hugging his son. Pretty cool stuff. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So first thing that I hate, there is a professor named Alexander McNabb at Barnard College. And he wanted to enter a room. Um, he wanted to enter a room that required a building that required after 11 p.m. That required him to show ID. He refused to show ID and then he became belligerent with campus officers. He then encouraged activists to spread the video claiming racism and the officers have been placed on leave. Here's a little bit of the video. Take your body off me. I did not touch anybody. I didn't violate anybody. Why are your hands on me? We're gonna walk out. Take your hands off of me. Take your hands off of me. Okay, so they showed the video, and in the video, he starts showing them his ID after making a big scene. So he's a student, not a professor, sorry. And here is the way that this was covered by the Washington Post. Alexander McNabb was hungry. It was 11.30 p.m. on Thursday, and the Columbia University senior had just left his late-night Afro Beats dance practice. He had work to do, and his anthropology thesis was looming. So the 23-year-old pulled out his phone to check a Facebook page where students can post and find the most universally reliable staple on American college campuses, free food. Other students had just deposited party leftovers in the nearby Barnard College Library, where Columbia students are welcome to study. McNabb had it that way. By the end of the night, he would find himself the latest subject of another viral video, the kind that receives the tense, that revives the tense conversation communities are having nationwide about police use of force, racial profiling, and the risks that come with being a person of color in the United States. Okay, that's a lie. 
Basically, what happened here, according to Andy No, is that this guy walked into the library, refused to show ID. You can see, by the way, that one of the officers there is black. He refused to show ID. And then after refusing to show ID and screaming at the officers, he was accosted by the officers. And then he and, and then he refused to go along with them. And then he encouraged people to show the video around as though he'd been victimized in some sort of racial crime at Barnard College. This prompted all of these protesters to show up and scream, no justice, no peace, F these racist police. Pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And then the deans at Columbia released a groveling statement saying that the belligerent student was a victim of racism and encouraging the student body to engage in social justice programs. The investigation still is not complete. It's a setup video, pretty obviously, and yet it is treated as though it is real by the mainstream media because they have to have incidents that they can claim are indicative of broader American racism, even if those incidents seem to be fabricated from the outset. So solid stuff there. All righty. Well, we will be back here a little bit later today with two hours more of content. We will see you then. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, everyone. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Is the struggle real? I don't think so. This is a country where almost anyone can do almost anything. So what is everybody complaining about? I'm Andrew Claven. That's on The Andrew Claven Show. This show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, but no two people sleep alike. That's why Helix offers several different mattress models, each designed for specific sleep positions and preferences. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailywire and take their sleep quiz to find the mattress made for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a hot sleeper, or a cold sleeper, Helix has just the mattress for you. I took the Helix sleep quiz and was matched with a Helix midnight mattress because I wanted a medium firmness and I sleep on my side. I am sleeping so much better on my new mattress. Don't want to take my word for it? Well, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Take the quiz and order the perfect mattress right to your door, shipped for free. It's so quick and fun to unbox, and you won't believe how well you'll sleep. All Helix mattresses come with a 100-night trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty. Helix even offers financing options and flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and a free bedroom bundle for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. That's helixsleep.com slash dailywire, code helixpartner20.